0: Father, we come to you, and uh, just as we have gotten the report that uh, Cynthia Swindoll is still in uh, this major surgery, we, uh, we thank you for the report that's come in, that she, she's doing well after hours and still has another hour so. We pray that uh, your hands will continue to guide the surgeon, that um, nothing would be missed, that uh, your, your hand would be upon those gifted hands uh, th- that you have used, I'm sure, to help so many folks over the years, but we would ask that the invisible hand would be at work as well, and that this would be uh, uh, a, a surgery that would improve her situation and uh, alleviate the difficulty. and. That's what we would pray for her and pray that the recovery would be swift and without uh, complication. We all have things in our lives that we have been praying about today. Uh, Others perhaps have uh, family members, loved ones, in surgery as well. These things always, Lord, uh, have our full and undivided attention. We we know that uh, we know that Jesus is the great physician, not only of physical needs but of the needs of the heart and the needs of the soul. And whether or not there's a physical condition that we or someone in our family has that's acute right now, we've all got issues of the heart. We've all got issues of the soul. Uh, it it is virtually impossible to live in this world without our souls being troubled, without them being burdened, without us dealing with anxiety, Um, we are living in turbulent times. We're living in very troubling times. We're living in times where we are watching the foundations of this nation that we love and so many guys in this room have uh, served in the different armed forces to, to protect and to put their lives on the line. We, we have many guys who have done that. We have guys here that have been wounded for this country. And it breaks their hearts as well as our hearts to see the foundations of this nation being destroyed on a daily basis. Not from outside, but from inside. So, does that trouble us? Yes, it does. We have the affairs of the nation, we have the affairs of our own lives. And sometimes we wonder, Lord, how long these difficult affairs are gonna continue. We get weary, we get tired. We get weary in well-doing. We pray and we ask that you would step in and that you would alter the situation we, we've all seen you do that, but there are other times when, as we pray, you are also indicating to us that we're in a season of waiting. We don't always understand. In fact, we, we have difficulty understanding these seasons of waiting. But we find, them, we, we find them in Scripture. We find the word wait throughout the Bible. But when you call us to wait, it's because you're working. Uh, Isaiah 64, 4 comes to mind. No eye has seen a God like thee who works for those who wait for him. We all have our work. We have our legitimate responsibilities that we go about doing. But we also have things that are out of our control and that we cannot fix, that we cannot alter. In those areas, we're completely dependent upon you. So we come to you. Uh, every guy in this room, without question, is in some kind of difficult circumstance. But we are thankful that you are the Lord of circumstances. You have sovereignty over circumstances. And circumstances which bring pain and confusion and difficulty into our lives, as Paul said, even in Philippians. Circumstances that he didn't want, that the church didn't want, but Paul said as he was in prison, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. You have an ability, Lord, an amazing ability to bring good out of bad. And for those of us in a tough stretch of trail right now, that is arduous and difficult and exhausting, we trust you to bring good out of it. In your time, in your way, in your season. I pray that you'll open our eyes as we open our Bibles, that you will give us uh, teachable spirits. We all have our defensive mechanisms. Mow them down. Get into our hearts. Let the word transform us tonight by its power. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight we are in Philippians four. We're going to give attention to verses one through nine, a good chunk of scripture, and then next week we're going to finish out Philippians four and therefore finish out our study in the book. I'd like to begin by reading Philippians four, verse one, and we're going to dive right into it tonight. There's so much. You know, in Scripture, there's not a wasted word. Uh, There's a concept called verbal plenary uh, inspiration. And what that means is that every word is inspired. Uh, There's not a wasted word. There's not a word in here that is not God-breathed. And as we read chunks of Scripture, it's so easy to pass over something of remarkable significance. Uh, One of those things is in verse 1. So Philippians 4, verse 1. Remember, Paul's in prison, writing to the church at Philippi. They had sent a message to him to encourage him. They figured he's been in prison. This has been, at this point, it's going to be a four-year ordeal. We know looking back. He's probably three years into this prison stretch right now. Uh, first two years in Caesarea. And these are the last, uh, you know, maybe 23, 24, through the end of Acts, that section of Scripture. Uh, he's, uh, he was in house arrest in, in Caesarea for a couple of years. He appealed to Caesar. Then he, he's on a ship going to Rome. They're shipwrecked. Um, then he's in Rome, this Roman imprisonment will, will be two years, and then he'll be released, and then he will have years, uh, several years of ministry, and then he'll go back into prison and be beheaded. But he doesn't know any of that at this point, but as we saw earlier, he had a sense that God was going to extend his stay on the earth for a while, instead of taking him on home to heaven, which he said is far better, so that's the context. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And I want to stop right there. There is a phrase here uh, of great significance, and it's the phrase, uh, stand firm in the Lord. As I was studying this week, this passage, I came across um, uh, James Boyce was a... Uh, a great scholar and pastor at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia uh, for many years. He's now with the Lord. But in his commentary on Philippians, his section on Philippians 4.1 was so good, I decided to bring it and read a couple of paragraphs to you. He says, It is a remarkable fact that at several crucial junctures in Paul's letters, the practical outcome of the Christian's warfare against the world and Satan is defined, watch this, as a matter of standing. And this is even more remarkable because it is part of a military metaphor. In the final chapter of Ephesians, for instance, and he's referring here to Ephesians 6.10, Paul writes of the life of the Christian as warfare, spiritual warfare. But even as he writes of the Christian's warfare, Paul says that the practical outcome for the Christian, and this this is what got me, Even as he writes of the Christian's warfare, Paul says that the practical outcome for the Christian is not so much to advance into battle as to stand. Huh. He writes, put on the full armor of God. This is Ephesians uh, 6.10, 6.11 to 14 actually. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then. Ephesians 6, 11 to 14. If we were writing, Boyce says, if we were writing the passage and we were using Paul's image, we should most likely speak of invasion or marching or conquest. But Paul does not do that. Instead, he speaks of standing. God does not tell us to march into battle or to conquer in spite of our great hymn, Onward, Christian Soldiers. Rather, he tells us to stand. And the implication of that command is that God has already done or is doing the conquering. We are only to hold the ground he conquers. That's significant. Uh, We are only to hold the ground he conquers. Or you could put it another way. We are to hold the ground. We are to guard the ground that he has conquered. When Adam was created, he was put into a garden. Uh, That was his turf. That was his ground. Um, It was given to him by the Lord. He was responsible for that ground, for that garden. He was responsible to tend it. Um, we've said this before, but each of us as men. We have, uh, we have a garden. We have some turf. We have, uh, we have something that God has given us, some ground. And because he has called us to himself, because we are following the Lord Jesus... Um, and see, why are we following the Lord Jesus? Well, because he did the conquering. He conquered sin on our behalf. He paid for our sin. Uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, but even when we were dead, he made us alive. And then you go on to Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, not good works to be saved. You were saved by grace in verse 8. This is verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So you've been redeemed. You've trusted in Christ alone as your Savior. Uh, Not in your works, but in Christ alone. His finished work on the cross. He died in your place and in my place. And we trust in him, and he gives us eternal life. And now if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So we've been born again. And now, as we've received Christ, we're going to walk in him. We're going to walk through life with him until we die, and we go to be with him in eternity. Um, we belong to him. He is conquered on our behalf. Uh, he, you know what he does? He assigns us to our post. Um, you have your turf, you have your life. I think about an average week. Um, let's just start with where you live. Where do you live? What's your address? What's your zip code? Uh, are, you there, are you there by yourself? Are you a widower? Are you single? Uh, do you have a roommate? Are you married? Do you have a wife? Do you have kids? Or do you have an empty nest? Okay, start there. All right, that's kind of your home base. Um, where do you work? How far of a commute do you have? In other words, what's a normal week for you? Um, some of you guys go to church here. Some of you guys go to other Bible-believing churches. So where do you go to church? Where are your good friends? Where, where are the restaurants that you frequent? You know, in other words, you got your ground. you got your turf. You've got your sphere. That's your life. You're not everywhere all over the world. you You got your little sphere. That's where he has placed you in a certain spot. He has placed me in a certain spot. Um, We have our assignments from the Lord. Sometimes he moves us. Um, There's always transition and a move. Some of you guys perhaps just moved here from out of state. I heard this week that 100,000 people a month are coming to the Metroplex. And, and I, I just, I, I'm amazed, I, I started noticing license plates from everywhere. New Jer- this week, I saw New Jersey, you see Kansas, you see all kinds of California, uh, Illinois, coming from all over. Uh, there's a lot of transition going on. Uh, but some of us have been here for quite a while. Uh, what's your turf? Oh, and in your turf, you have relationships. Relationships. You have people in your lives. Um, I mean, in a real sense, he has assigned us to our post. Has he not? Uh, And he calls us to stand firm. To stand firm. To stand firm in the Lord. Now, Boyce referred to Ephesians 6. And here's where I want to go with this. You're assigned to your post, I'm assigned to mine. We uh, we give an account. We give an account to the Lord. As Adam gave an account for how he stewarded the, the garden, we give an account to the Lord for how we steward, how we take care of the responsibilities that we have before him. Colossians 3, whatever you do, do your work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. So whatever kind of work you do, ultimately you're serving Christ. Okay. He says here that we are to stand firm in the Lord. So much of um, athletics is footwork. Uh, Football, so much of football is footwork. If you're an offensive lineman, you have to know how, if you're going to pull and lead a sweep and lead the back around, you got to know how to pull and get out in front. That's footwork. Uh, You play baseball. There's footwork involved in every position. Um, Basketball, I don't care what sport it is, footwork is critical. Footwork is critical in the Christian life. When he says, stand firm in the Lord, he's talking about footwork. Now, in Ephesians 6.10, it says, be strong in the Lord. You might flip over to Ephesians 6.10. Because I want to show you something. There, There are two concepts. You have stand firm in the Lord in Philippians 4, verse 1. In Ephesians 6.10, just go to your left, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In Philippians 4, he says, stand firm in the Lord. Do you notice there? On one, it's stand firm in the Lord, and the other one, it's be strong in the Lord, oh, and in the strength of his might. The Christian life is not an easy life. The Christian life is a life of adversity. It's a life... It's a life of uh, struggle. It's a life of, um, well, Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's not an easy life. It's the best life, but it's not easy. Now, we should say this. There's a life uh, that's harder than the Christian life, and it's the life without Christ. But we've been born again, and now he wants to take us from immaturity to maturity, so, how do you take someone from immaturity to maturity? You take you by, by different struggles and trials and testings and difficulties. Okay. As you're here tonight, you've got your area of responsibility, your family, your job, all this. All right. We're all having to stand firm in the Lord. That's not always easy. Why? Because of difficulties, because of attacks, because of. Um, Numerous things that you wish were not in your life, but they are there. And what are you having having to do? You're having to stand firm in the Lord. you got something in your life you've been praying about today, early. It's on your heart. It's been on your heart for weeks. You're praying about this. Uh, Why? Because you wish you could fix it. But you can't fix it. Only God can fix it. So you're having to stand firm in your area of responsibility. You're having to stand firm in the Lord. The way you stand firm under pressure... The way you stand firm under difficulty, watch this, is to be the way you stand firm is to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's Ephesians 6. They're not the same thing. The only way a man can stand firm is if he is strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not in your strength, in God's strength. J.B. Phillips wrote a book decades ago called Your God is Too Small. We, most of us, start out thinking great thoughts of mankind and small thoughts of God. But the more you read the Bible, the more it's reversed and it's quickly reversed. God is great. God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is the creator. He has all power, He has all wisdom. The, the more we come to know him and the more we come to know his greatness and his power and his love for us. The, you know, in John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is getting to know God. We, if you've trusted Christ for your salvation and you're following Christ, you've been given eternal life. You don't get eternal life when you die and go to heaven, you have eternal life now. This is why your, your future is sealed in Christ. But eternal life is knowing God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, and it'll take eternity to know him. But what we know about him, we know certain things, and the more we know about him, the more, um, the more secure I am, the more I'm able to fight off fear, the more I'm able to fight off anxiety, because I'm I'm strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not, you see, we tend to think other people are strong. Other people have power. Other people have uh, the power to influence my destiny. Other people can thwart what God wants to do in my life. That is not true. The more I know who God is, the more secure I'm going to be and even when all hell is against me, I'm gonna be able to stand firm in the Lord because I know the Lord and I'm strong in who he is. In other words, you gotta know the character of God in order to stand firm. That's where I'm going with this. If you don't know who he is, it's hard to stand firm. If you don't know he has your back, it's hard to stand firm. So when they set up an idol and tell us to bow down and worship, if you don't know him, you can't respond like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh king, we don't need to give you an answer in this. on this. As they looked at the fiery furnace, which had been stoked seven times. And the soldiers who had gotten there had died from the heat. And these young guys in their teens said, Oh king, we don't need to give you an answer. He wanted them to bow down. If you don't bow down, I'm throwing you in the furnace. King, we don't need to give you an answer. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Why? (laughs) They were strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Is he able to deliver us out of that fire, in the fire? Yes, and he did. Later, Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, didn't we put three guys in there? Yeah, we did. I see four walking around, and one has the appearance of the Son of God. That's because he was the Son of God. But even if they hadn't been delivered, they said, oh, king, we're not bowing. uh, That's an amazing statement for some teenage kids to say. We're not bowing. Why? Because they're strong in the Lord. I don't have to fear death. My God beat death. My God conquered death. You see how this works? They were able to stand firm because they were strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Okay. In other words, you can't, you just can't do it unless you're strong in the Lord. You can't stand firm unless you're strong in the Lord. So there are two things. We could say a lot about this. There are two things that help us to stand firm in the Lord, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on in your life. Uh, What was going on in Paul's life? He was in prison. Didn't know how long he'd be there, but he was in prison. Okay. Okay. Uh, there are two things that are critical, I think, to know about God. Number one is that he's sovereign. He's sovereign. Uh, Psalm 103. uh, His throne is in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Sovereignty is absolute control. God is in absolute control of everything. 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 Psalm 119. 91, I looked up, we, we looked at this verse a few weeks ago and I stared it right in the face and I, I was looking for it and uh, somehow I, I knew what it said, but I couldn't ascertain it from the page. I had some medication uh, issues, but let's look at it. Psalm 119, 91, I want to show you something. Uh, talk about Sovereignty. Psalm 119.91, here's a statement. All things are your servants. All things. All things. Anything you can name is a servant of God. All things are your servant. All things. All things. The law of gravity is his servant. Powerful people, powerful nations. Read Isaiah 40. God says, you know, to whom will you like to meet? You think powerful nations are powerful? They're meaningless and they're void. You think powerful leaders are powerful or significant? I raise them up, I set them down, I blow on them, they wither. God's sovereign. There is a plan for the ages. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, there is a plan for the ages. It is absolutely under control. That includes your life, the life of your kids, the life of your grandkids. It's absolutely under the control of the sovereign God. That's staggering. And his plan for your life cannot be frustrated, thwarted, delayed. It can't happen. Because he's in absolute control. That's what you call strength. In Daniel 2, it says that he is the, Daniel said he is the God who has all wisdom and all power. Sometimes we're in situations and we don't understand. We wish that we weren't in these situations. But in the wisdom of God, he has placed you in that situation. And there are things that he has in mind in these situations that are hard and difficult and painful that we can't see. But see, he's got something in mind, and he's the God. By the way, you talk about power. You got Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know that God causes all things. All things are thy servants. Yeah, that's Psalm one nineteen ninety-one. Well, Romans eight twenty-eight says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. There's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of terrible things that happen in this world. A lot of things have happened to you that are terrible and just break your heart. Christians are being crucified by ISIS in the Middle East. Christians are being beheaded. Uh, Horrific things. For people who who name the name of Christ, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't mean we won't suffer and go through adversity and hardship on this earth. But it means that God is able to take the worst things, the most horrible things, the most horrific things, and he's able to work those things by his power. He works them for our good. That's amazing. It's amazing. Is it not? He's able to work them for good because he is God, because he is good. So, first you have the sovereignty of God, and then you have the goodness of God. If you look at Psalm 119.68, it says, The Lord is good and does good. Now, see, these are bedrock principles that enable me. The reason these verses are so important. This is what enables me. Oh yeah, We're reading Philippians 4. You can fly by Philippians 4. Stand firm in the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? Well, because God is sovereign. Because God is good. And I know that. This hardship, this difficulty that's pressing me, that's crushing me. I'm hemmed in. I don't see any way out. God's got something in mind for me that I can't see. So you see, I'm going to stand firm. I'm gonna stand firm in the Lord because I'm I'm strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Nobody can thwart what he's got in mind. I'm good. You're good. Because Jesus is good. He's got our back, he's got our front, he's got our flank. You say, Steve, I I've man, Steve, I gotta tell you something. I've, I've just about hit bottom. Well. Guess what? Underneath are the everlasting arms. You can never get underneath the everlasting arms. They're always underneath you. Deuteronomy, what is that, 33? It is, thirty-three twenty-seven. Okay. So our job is to stand firm in the Lord, as Boyce said. Our job is to uh, hold the ground that he has conquered. Our job is to, um, our job is to uh, guard the ground he has conquered. So think of you, where you live, your family, your sphere. Okay? That's your post. You've been assigned to your post. Now, what are you to do? You're to stand firm. You and me both. Okay. We're to guard that territory. I want to give you six ways in this passage verses one through nine we're to guard. I'm going to move quickly. Number one. I'm to stand firm by guarding my relationships. I'm to stand firm in the Lord by guarding my relationships. That's verses two and three. Uh, 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 Hey, your life is all about relationships. Um... Right here in Philippians 4, the first thing he talks about after saying, Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, verse 2 and 3, I urge you Odea, and Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. Some uh, pronounce those two names of women, I urge Odious and touchy <laughs> to live in harmony in the Lord. Two women in the church at Philippi, Paul knows them, had an association with them, appreciated them. Obviously, Uh, women of influence uh, love the Lord but what's happened is there's a fissure between them Uh, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord I urge them I urge them both to live in harmony in the Lord indeed my true companion my yoke fellow and we're not quite sure who he's referring to but they knew I also ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel Together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So see, Paul's all about people. You notice at the end of Paul's books, he's always thinking this guy and this guy, you know, this guy and Priscilla and Aquila. And he's naming all these folks. Look at the end of Romans. He's got almost a whole chapter of names. Why? Because he had relationships. You've got relationships. Um, Here's the thing about relationships. They're tough. Uh. Here's the thing about the church. Some great theologian, I can't remember who it was, he said, if it wasn't for the stench outside the church, you couldn't stand the smell inside the church. <laughs> and where does the smell of the church inside the church come from? Well, sheep smell. Right? Hey, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> <laughs> We're all screwed up. We just think other people are screwed up but we're all screwed up. We're all broken, we're all busted up, we're sinners, we're uh, self-lovers. And this is why we need the Savior, and this is why we all need to grow in maturity. Um, Families have the same issue. No perfect families, no perfect marriages, no perfect kids, just broken, busted up, sinful people, you know. We're in different stages of growth, different stages of maturity. Some don't even know the Lord yet but we're to live together in harmony. When when I wrote my book Point Man years ago to men about being a spiritual leader of your family, I made the statement in chapter one that when a man gets serious about Christ, the enemy gets serious about you. And know this, when you get serious about following Christ, you can expect a two-prong attack from the enemy. Number one, he's going to attempt to alienate and eventually sever the relationship that you enjoy with your wife. That's a relationship. It's a key relationship. He's going to try and get a wedge between you and your wife. Have you ever wished that you didn't marry your wife? (laughs) And I'd like a show of hands. (laughs) Sure you have. Yeah. I mean, you're cussing under your breath sometimes. Now, what's fascinating is she's thinking at times the same thing about you. (laughs) How did I get into this? How did I get suckered into this? Well, we're all busted up. See, what the enemy wants to do, and it doesn't matter if you're married uh, four months or four years or 44 years, he wants to alienate and eventually sever the relationship between a husband and wife. A Christian husband and wife. Divorce is rampant in the evangelical church. I, mean, I can't prove this. But biblically, you, 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 Jesus said there's no divorce among you except for fornication, Matthew 19, 9. you got a ground for divorce in 1 Corinthians 7, someone hold to. So maybe one or two possibly biblical grounds for divorce. But divorce is epidemic in the evangelical church Could it be 80% of the divorces don't have biblical grounds? I don't know. I've never done a poll. I've never read a poll. But I I would say this. I think there are a lot of divorces that happen among Christian husbands and wives where there's no biblical basis. Because you see, this is how the enemy gets in between a husband and wife. And what does Paul say? I urge Geodia and Syntyche to live in harmony. You've got to guard your relationships. This is not easy. Romans 12, 18. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That includes your wife. That, that includes, that, that, that's a general term for humanity. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with as many folks as you have in relationship with. Sometimes you can't be at peace because they won't allow you to be at peace. Sometimes you have attempted to work something out, but there's a hard heart there, or they're attempting and you have a hard heart. We've all been in these positions. All I'm saying is the enemy loves to get in, create a fissure, and divide. We have to, uh, as a man who is standing firm in the Lord, I have a responsibility. I have a stewardship for my family. My job is to uh, guard my relationships. The second thing that I mentioned in Point Man is that the enemy not only will try to alienate and sever the relationship you enjoy with your wife, but he will try to alienate and sever the relationship that you enjoy with your kids. When our kids are two, three, four, and 5, they think their daddies hung the moon. When they hit 13, 14, 15, they want their daddies to go to the moon. We've experienced that. It's hard raising kids and adolescents. It'll wear you out. It'll just absolutely wear you out. And depending on how many kids you have, someone's in crisis. And the emotional energy it takes to father, the emotional energy it takes to maintain relationships and guard relationships and talk and connect and get inside hearts, it's exhausting. But it's the most important work we do. You've got to guard your relationship. Secondly, and if I'm going to get all six of these, i got to move. The second thing that Paul says here is that we are to stand firm in the Lord by guarding our joy, our joy. This one may surprise you. Verse uh, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Now, what does it mean to rejoice? What is this joy stuff? Well, the first thing out of the blocks is that we get joy, biblical joy confused with happiness. We're not talking about happiness in our culture. Happiness is the absence of difficulty. Uh, happiness is when you get the promotion. Uh, happiness is when you get the raise. Happiness is when you pay off the house or when you buy the house. Or uh, happiness is, is when, uh, you know, you, you're... Son graduates, or uh, we know what happiness is. It's external things. Um, the interesting thing about joy is that joy is not dependent on external, positive uh, expectations being met. Joy, uh, joy is possible in the midst of being in prison. Paul's in prison. He talks about joy throughout Philippians it's not based on the absence of difficulty joy is something you can have in the presence of difficulty Uh, how about um, and how does this work for instance think of James 1 where it says count it joy when you encounter various trials. Well, that's certainly my first response, (laughs) as I know it's yours. You mean I'm laid off a week before Christmas? Count it joy when you encounter various trials. How in the world can you do that? First of all, it doesn't say feel it as joy, because that's a very disappointing thing. It says count it, or some translations say consider it as joy. That's something you do not with your emotions. It's something you do with your mind. When there is some kind of setback, when there is some kind of disappointment, when there is some kind of trial or tribulation or heartbreak that occurs, that's part of the Christian life. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, 22. We have to take a step back at a point and there's immediate shock and there's grief over the loss and all this kind of thing, depending on the extent of it. But you take a step back and at some point, you have to say, you have to take a step back, and you count it as joy. Count it as joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that you're mine, knowing what is going on here. This is a setback. Yes, but my God is sovereign. All things are thy servant. My job, my, employ, my employer, oh, it's some big multinational corporation with layers and layers and layers. Well, they're his servant. Run by people, isn't it? They're all his servants. Well, they don't know him. That doesn't matter. He created them. He gives them breath. They can't breathe without him. He runs them. He owns them because all things are thy servant. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. The CEO's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. The Human Resources Committee. Their hearts are like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. They don't run your life. He runs your life. They made the decision, but he runs them. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, how in the world can you stand firm when you have a career setback or when you lose your job? How can you stand firm in the Lord? You can't if you don't believe that God controls all things and that he's sovereign and that he's good. Because this happened, this thing is, this has just happened at the worst possible time. It's amazing how often things happen to Christians at the worst possible time. And you've had them happen to you. And you can't see what's going on. You, You can't see a way out. You don't see any way that it's going to be resolved. And then you look back over your life, and what did God do? In a remarkable providence, in some incredible way, he resolved it. And you give him glory. Why? Because Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Sometimes if you live for a season, he'll work it for your good and you'll see it. Other things have not been resolved yet, but you can count on this. He'll work it for your good. Can't tell you when, can't tell you the schedule, but he'll work it for good. And you will give him glory. That's who he is. That's what he does for his people. So you see, here how do you have joy? How do you guard your joy? When something happens, you have to take a step back and you have to think biblically. Uh, here, here's one that, that, that helps me. Uh, when I'm facing a situation or there's something, I, I go to Psalm 31, 14. <clears throat> when there's something that shakes me or I don't quite get or I didn't want it, here it is, I'm dealing with this all of a sudden. Here we go. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say that you are my God. My times are in your hand. And they are. Is that not true? My my, my beginning, my conception, my birth, my present, my future, it's in your hands. See, when you're in the midst of something that you don't want to be in, you got to take a step back, and you've got to think biblically. Are, my times are in your hand. Yes, they are. Have I seen good times? Yeah. Have I seen difficult times? Yeah, and I'm in a difficult time right now. Is it all under your sovereignty? Yeah. Do you have a plan for my life? Yeah, you do. Okay, this is part of your plan. Help me to, help me to learn the lessons here, Lord. What, do you, what, do you want, what are you saying to me? What do I need to hear? What do I need to do? How do you want me to obey? I don't want to fight you on this. Make it clear, Lord. Just make it clear so I can follow you. Help me here. My times are in, your, are in thy hand. I, I got bills to pay. i got a family. i got a mortgage to pay. My times are in your hand. I believe you're sovereign. You've put me in this situation. But see, don't forget, along with that, Psalm 138.8, the Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. It can't be thwarted. It cannot be thwarted what he has planned for you. Can't be. We learn through adversity. We grow through adversity. So if I know this and understand it biblically, then I can rejoice in the Lord. I can thank God. I can, I can be joyful. You know what it is? It's thankfulness. Yeah, Lord, this is tough and this is hard and this is disappointing and we're driving back and forth to the hospital. And all that. But Lord, we thank you that we know you. We, th- we thank you that, that our, our future is secure. We thank you for the years you've given us. We thank you for your provision in the past. We look back and look at all oh, you've done for us, Lord. Are you going to stop being faithful? No, you're going to be faithful. And Lord, even if this results in death, you know what? It's far better to be with you. Because we have eternal life in Christ. And, and we, we, we would hope that this is not to death, this situation. But even if it is, Lord, it's far better. It's far better. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. No. So you got to get perspective. You've got to think biblically. You guys getting this? That's how you can have joy. That's the difference between joy and happiness. Mary told me she saw Tony Romo interviewed the other night by some sportscaster, and his, his, his boys, little boys, were on the field with him before the game, and something was going on, and someone asked him, one of the reporters asking something, and he immediately, they said something about happiness, and then you know what he did? He gave him a biblical explanation of the difference between happiness and joy in about 30 seconds. Wish I had heard it. I didn't. Mary said it was brilliant. That's pretty good. There's a guy who's getting it. Um, let's go to number three. The clock's moving. The first one is guard your relationships. The second one is guard your joy. That's all about perspective. Number three. This is a little cumbersome. Uh, you stand firm in the Lord by guarding your reasonableness. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Uh, You read the the scholars, the biblical scholars, they they indicate, it's kind of a tough word to translate. Some translations will say, let your gentle spirit. uh, Gentle? Yeah. In the sense that you're not difficult. You're reasonable. Uh, another word that some translations that let your forbearance. Uh, you know how I get this? Uh, guard your heart so that you're not uh, a pain in the butt to live with. <laughs> you ever you, have you ever made a statement about someone? You know he's just he's unreasonable. She's unreasonable. Have you ever said that about someone in the church? Have you ever said that about someone in church leadership? They're just unreasonable. That's why you're not in that church anymore. They're just unreasonable. 3 John 9, we wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, does not accept what we say. Doesn't accept what you say, John. You're an apostle, hand chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. But Diotrephes does not accept what we say. That's an unreasonable man. And I'll tell you something, he's not only unreasonable in the church, a guy like that is unreasonable at home. Because who you really are is not who you are at church because you're showing off your best shine at church. Who you really are and who I am is what's going on at home. Guard your reasonableness. You should be easy to talk to. Not gentle, not harsh, not critical, not difficult. Not uh, exasperating your children, as the Scriptures say. Not berating your wife constantly. Every home has an an atmosphere, and the husband and the father sets the atmosphere. Every once in a while, I'll take Mary to a nice restaurant on an anniversary or something. And you know, restaurants, you know, Sometimes on a nice deal, you, you go to a restaurant with ambiance. I looked that word up. It means expensive. <laughs> Guys don't care about ambiance. There's a, there's a, I don't even know if it's still around anymore. Down on Sherry Lane, there's a dive down there, right off Northwest Highway. I can't remember the name of the place. It's got the busted up for formica tables. There's Ebola viruses dripping off stuff. <laughs> there, there, it's just, and, and you know what? If you're not there by 1115, there's a line stretching all the way around. And it's mostly guys. And they just slop good old country cooking on there. Guys don't care about, I mean, it, the hide the, the, the is ripped. The, the, the stuff's coming out, the cushions. It's just, it's ridiculous. But man, the food's good. But, you know, your wife probably doesn't want to go there on the anniversary. She's not at, can we go down there, honey? No. There's no atmosphere. Every uh, home has, there are two kinds of atmosphere in a home. The home in which you were raised was either constructive or destructive. And your dad determined that. If it was constructive, then your home people were built up. If it was Destructive people were torn down. Nothing you can do about how you were raised. But now we're the husbands and fathers. We set the temp. It ought to be a home of uh, construction where people are built up and not torn down. When your kids leave, they ought to want to come back. And if your kids don't want to come back, they never want to come back, you got some work to do. So do your work go do some mending go do some repenting swallow your pride humble yourself and go fix the relationships be reasonable don't be unreasonable okay by the way because he says the lord is near i find that interesting I read one commentator, he said, oh, this is about the rapture. I don't think it's about the rapture. The Lord is near. He's watching if I'm reasonable or unreasonable. He's near. He is omnipresent. (laughs) The eyes of the Lord are in every place. We'll get to that in a minute. That should, that should, I should be aware of that as I live my life. I'm jumping ahead. Let's go to number four. Number four, guard your anxiety. Standing firm in the Lord means that you're guarding your anxiety. Isn't that interesting? Uh, This is a classic passage, Ephesians 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and God will fulfill your requests just as you ask them. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I just added to the text. See, wouldn't it kind of make sense if it said be anxious for nothing but at everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and God will fulfill your requests just as you made them and the peace of God. <laughs> so guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why? Because what you pray for, whatever you pray for, you get. Well, of course you have peace. All you got to do is just ask him. And hey, let me tell you something. There are deviations of Christianity that teach this. All you got to do is name it and claim it. All you got to do is speak it. They'll teach you can actually command God to do something. I got a little three year old granddaughter who this week commanded me to do something. (laughs) I mean, it was laughable. And she meant it Papa. When you're three years old, it's cute. But it still has to be dealt with. Doesn't it? No, it doesn't say whatever you ask, he'll Now, no, one of the old Puritan pastors said this. He said, God has answered every prayer I've ever prayed. He either gave me what I asked for, or he gave me what I should have asked for. Why? Because he's a good father. Uh, let's break this down. Be anxious for nothing. So... You've got stuff you're anxious about. I've got stuff I'm anxious about. Be anxious for nothing. Well, we have anxiety. Why? Because we don't know how things are going to sort. And this involves people we love. It involves our future. It involves health issues. It involves job issues. In jobs, relational issues. Our kids, what's happening with our kids, our grandkids. we got all this stuff, and so we get anxious. And so often, anxiety is about the future. It comes down to, can I really trust God with my future? How is this going to sort? How is this going to work? If you have kids, usually, I find it usually, depending on how many kids you have, but if, we've got three, usually somebody's in some kind of crisis to one degree or another. You see? It's just kind of life. Um, be anxious for nothing. Or your wife's got a crisis and then that, that affects you. Or, okay. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that specific request. Getting right down to it. Let your requests be made known unto God. Then the peace of God shall guard. That's interesting. It shall guard. See, we've been looking at things we do to guard what's been entrusted to us. What Christ has conquered, what he has given us, we're to stand firm. We are to hold on to the ground. We are to guard the ground. But, you see, when it comes to anxiety, um, when it comes to anxiety, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request lay it out there to him. Tell him everything. Let your request be made known to God. Watch this. And the peace of God shall shall guard your hearts. You know what's great about this? Sometimes sometimes what we're praying for is wrong. We're praying for wrong things. Now, we don't know it. To us, it seems like it would be the best thing. But we don't know. In fact, Romans 8 says, For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself prays for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you know that the Holy Spirit prays for you? That's an astonishing thing. He prays for me. Jesus prays for you, and Jesus prays for me. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he lives forever to make intercession for his people. So I've got the Holy Spirit praying for me. I've got Jesus praying for me. So see, I don't know how to pray. Sometimes I pray according to the will of God. This is why the way to always pray is not my will, but thine be done. See, I think I know best, but gosh, I've gotten that wrong so many times and so have you. But and the question is well well i mean how long do you pray when you get when are you have you ever been burdened yeah yeah i well, oftentimes when i have a burden I'll, i i walk and i pray remember you play ball and you would turn an ankle playing basketball or something I mean, I, that happened to me three times playing basketball. I thought, I, I knew I fractured my ankle. I didn't fracture it, I just sprained it. And that loving, gentle um, coach would come along and say, get up, for our walk it off. Walk it off. You're all right, just walk it off. And you know what, i get up and walk it off. Now, you know, they'll come and they'll do the little thing, and they can tell if it's busted, but if it's not... Most of the time, you just walk it off. And, you know, I get up and walk it off. I think that's what you do with a burden. When you're anxious about something, I, 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 I tell you something, I've been walking something off the last 36 hours. It's not life threatening, but I'm not sure. I'm, I need some clarity from the Lord on something. I'm asking Him, what, what, what's going on here? I, I, I'm, this is interesting. This is kind of a new development. What what does this mean? What do I need to learn here, Lord? And I'm not quite sure. So you know what? I start walking. I walk it off. And I walk and I pray and I walk it off until I get a peace. And then if the burden comes back, talk to him again. But there's a point. He'll give you a peace that'll help you get through the day. There'll be a point where he'll give you a quietness. He will give you, uh, 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 he'll give you a confidence. Um, great verse, Isaiah twenty six three. Um, I, and, and listen, I learned this in the old King James, so I'll quote it, King James: "Thou wilt keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee." You got? I love that verse. You will keep in perfect peace. He whose mind is standing firm on you, your sovereignty, your goodness, you will keep him in perfect peace because he's stayed on you because he trusts in you. The whole name of the game in the Christian life is trusting. He just keeps us moving along the trail and we encounter these things, and it's always an issue of can I trust God? Can I trust God? The issue is always, can I trust, and really, every guy in this room, can I trust God with my future? Can I trust God with the future of my kids, with their marriages? Can I trust God with my grandkids? Can Can I trust God? Here's the other thing. Can I trust God not only with my future, can I trust God with the timing of my future? The timing. Oh, I would like this fixed right now. God may not fix it right now. It may be months. It might be years. But God's all about timing. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that at the right time, he will exalt you. God God knows timing. We don't. We learn, and we can grow in anxiety. I was reading this week the uh, autobiography of Erwin Lutzer. Uh, Erwin has been uh, pastor at Moody Church for 35 years. Um, I've had the privilege of uh, meeting him, speaking at his church. Great man of the word. Uh, He was talking about his father. His father had a very difficult childhood, uh, was born in Germany, but because of situations in Germany, his father's father took the family and moved to the Ukraine because there was work and they could farm and he could provide for his family, but when World War II was about to break out, they threw the family out and they were like refugees and it was just, it might have been World War I, I'm trying to remember the age, anyway, but it was a World War, it was bad, and suddenly the family that had been in the Ukraine were cast out because they weren't citizens and the trauma and the difficulty, and as a result, when he came along, his father had immigrated to Canada, and was a farmer, and his father would have what he, we today call panic attacks. And just trying to feed those kids and make it on a farm. And his dad had come to know the Lord, but he, Lutzer, talked about the fact his dad would have panic attacks. And his dad would call the family together and say, I don't think I'm going to live through the harvest. And his dad was in his late 30s. I probably won't be here at this time next year. And he really believed it. Uh, he had all these fears. He had all these anxieties. Uh, By the way, Lutzer said my dad lived to be 107. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, he grew in his faith and the panic attacks went away when he hit the age of 60. Never had another one. And as you read about his father and how his father grew in the Lord and in the strength of his mind, his father became strong in the scriptures became strong in the sovereignty of God and in the goodness of God. And what happened is the peace of God. Things that threw him 20 years ago wouldn't throw him now. See, that's growth. That's trust. I've seen the faithfulness of God. You just hold on to the faithfulness of God. I might be unfaithful. He's not unfaithful. Does that make sense? Number five, guard your thought life. And I'm out of time, so I'm going to do this quickly. Guard your thought life. Stand firm in the Lord by guarding your thought life. If you look at verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, our culture despises purity. Our culture despises truth. Our culture takes what is good and calls good bad. Our culture calls what is bad good. So look at this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellent, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Put this stuff on your mind. Meditate on this on your mind. The first thing that really, I mean, what he's talking about is the Word of God. The Word of God is pure. Thy Word is truth. Sanctify them in truth, Jesus said in John 17 this is romans 12 don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the what renewing of your mind you see it's all about the mind by the way the the key to fixing anxiety is to put truth in your mind and you, this isn't anxiety doesn't go away in a microwave this may take a while but you can grow in it you can get confident you got to watch your thought life by the way if you struggle with pornography when you're in your house by yourself, on a road trip somewhere, you're not ever going to break that by yourself. You're going to have to confess it to a brother. James said, confess your sin one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That, there's a grip to this stuff. It's evil. It's wicked. And you know it is and you want released. Your greatest fear is that someone will find out. So you say, I can't confess it to anybody. I'm a, I'll be ashamed. If you confess it to a brother who is mature in the Lord, they they won't condemn you. They won't shame you. They will accept you and love you and pray with you and walk through this with you. I know guys that have ministries to guys who are addicted to pornography. And the reason they have ministries to guys who are addicted to pornography is that they themselves were addicted to pornography. But they took the step. They confessed their sin to a brother And there was an accountability, and they started walking through life with them. You see? And see, the moment you confess sin, you've just outflanked Satan because he has nothing on you anymore. Do you see that? And then you start putting the truth in your mind. That's all I can say there. Number six, guard your daily practice and behavior. Verse 9, Paul says of Philippians 4, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. It's all about practice. We don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be what? Doers. We want to be doers. So, when you go home tonight, you got anxiety in your heart when you're starting to go to sleep? Oftentimes, if I'm dealing with anxiety and having trouble going to sleep, I'll say to myself, Psalm 37, somewhere around verse 3 or 4, you can look it up. It says this, and I quote the New American Standard Margin Translation, which is this. I'm worried about something, so I say, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And then I go back over again. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land He's given me this land. He's given me this apartment. He's given me this house. He's given me this family. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. <laughs> Usually, I don't, hit, I, don't, I don't quote it five times. Because there's power in the word of God. And see, when I'm quoting scripture, as Joel Aldrich used to say, you can't worry and worship at the same time. You can worship or you can worry. And when I quote scripture, I'm worshiping. Thou will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth. Father, as we close, that's our heart's prayer tonight. We've all got our stuff, we've all got our anxieties and our fears. We are so grateful for Christ and his work on the cross. What a great Savior who continues to save us from our fears, from our anxieties, from our irritability and our unreasonableness. Help us to grow, Lord. Um, Help us to grow in kindness. Help us as men who tend not to be, well, Lord, rarely is it that we would have a desire for someone to think we're sweet, but our family needs to think we're sweet. There's a sweet reasonableness in our hearts because of what Jesus has done. When we need to take a stand, we take a stand. But we're not always always taking stands. There's to be love. There's to be kindness. There's to be gentleness. There's to be a tenderness. Continue to do the work in our hearts. We look to you. We have nowhere else to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.